I'm Kyle McNulty, and you're listening to Secure Ventures, the show that follows cutting-edge founders in the cybersecurity space to understand their plights, glories, and revolutionary products. With me in this episode is Idan Plotnik. As with several other founders interviewed on this show, Idan has been a serial entrepreneur since leaving Israel's Unit 8200, having now started several successful companies. And while many Unit 8200 graduates go on to start companies, not many can boast acquisitions by companies as prominent as Microsoft. Now, as the CEO at Apiro, he is helping organizations contextualize their application security issues by integrating across their software supply chain. The name Apiro means infinity in Greek, which Idan says is an important element of their mission in connecting infinite factors on a single risk graph. In the episode, we also discuss the RSA Innovation Sandbox Challenge held at the RSA conference, which is coming up next week, and what it meant for their team to win last year. Idan, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. So for this episode, we're going to focus a bit more on more recent history, talking about your win at RSA's Innovation Challenge Sandbox last year and what that's really done for your company. But before that, I want to touch on at least some of the kind of core elements of your background and and get that story out of you. So as with most Israeli folks in cybersecurity that I speak with, you spent your four years in the IDF, and then you started your first cybersecurity consulting company. And that's also something that I see pretty frequently. So maybe one thing you can speak to is what is it that's so natural about starting a services company coming out of the IDF as opposed to maybe a product company? Yeah, so I, I spent the the IDF around five plus years and and. Back then, the startup scene wasn't so popular as it today. So I started as a pen tester, uh, basically in, in a consulting services company. And then I said, you know, I, I saw that I have a great relationships with the customers. So I said, you know, why not open my own thing? And and I brought a lot of customers. So it was it was just that like I love <laughs> what I did, you know, and I had customers asking me more and more uh, pen testing, and then it moved to a security code review and risk assessment, and then it extended to other services. Um, but but th- this is it. It was like <laughs> natural move, you know, for me, um, and and I, I think my passion was the technical side, but also sure. the customers and the business side. And back then it was very um, natural for me to open a consulting services company. Sure. Yeah. It's funny to hear you say that it's so natural, right? Because again, I talked to a lot of Israeli founders who've done something fairly similar. Uh, not to say that obviously this isn't unique in its own right, but compared to in the United States, for example, just the number of people that work in penetration testing, for example, and have no aspirations whatsoever to go ahead and start a firm of their own. I mean, you say that like, oh, it's so natural, but it is fairly unique in just having that that aspiration to contribute to that next level. I mean, was there anything in particular that you think made you really want to take on that kind of entrepreneurial challenge as opposed to just continuing to grow within an organization? Oh, this is this is a complex conversation sure. that will take us, you know, 
to the age of six <laughs> when, when I sure. started, uh, you know, coding or getting my com- my first computer for my my father. But but I, I think from from the start, the, the entrepreneurship was part of me, even in the army. Um, when I took more and more challenges and and I won reward uh, like awards because of my achievements in the IDF, but but eventually I like the to build things from scratch, and I like to translate them into real business. Like I don't like just to have an idea, say hey I can build it or I can uh, work with the team to build it, but then eventually connecting the dots from a customer pain to a unique technology to message it correctly to market it and then to sell it i think this is this is where my passion is hmm. and and just to connect the dots um as part of one of the pen testing processes that i ran in one of the largest banks in in uh in israel the the uh, this is where the idea to my next startup came up okay know? and and i i found out a way to basically uh uh steal your identity from your own laptop or computer and then move laterally inside the organization and this organization had more than 70 security people and no <laughs> one came to me and said, hey, stop, you're doing something wrong. Hmm. And, and this is this was the catalyst to start Erato, which was you know, my, my next startup that eventually I sold uh, to Microsoft. Yeah. So, I mean, tell me about Erato, right? You sold your services company, which I'm sure was an incredible milestone in itself. You had witnessed this challenge, so you went on to kind of start Erato. What was that pivot like for you going from services to products? So again, you mentioned that it felt so natural for you to start your own consulting company. How natural did it feel to then maybe take that next leap and start Aerato? So, so just to be like, you know, uh, to, to, when, when we dive into the details in, in my consulting services company, I had a small portion of development um, of tools for customers sure. and and for our own internal uh, team to streamline the pen testing process. So got it. It wasn't and 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 even at the army we we developed products. So sure. I think it was a natural move from consulting and 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 combining consulting and development and then focus only on the development side. I think sure. it's it's I'm saying natural, but but it's not. 100% uh, <laughs> accurate because when when you need to hire only developers the business model is different the culture is different and 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 the time to market is much longer than a consulting services company because in a consulting services company in a week you can show value and you can charge you can see the money immediately okay sure. so and 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 when you start a, a, a product company, then it takes you six months to develop the MVP, um, and then another few months to convince the customer that it's not broken and you want money for it. Okay, so so I think I think it's a little bit different, but I think I had an amazing team back then. Um, 
which I, I, you know, we, we, we did, we did something unique in the industry. We invented something that wasn't mm-hmm. exist before us and only because of the team and the, 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 you know, the culture and the focus on the goal and the drive to be successful. These all factors came together and, and this is why eventually we sold the company to Microsoft. You know, it wasn't a long journey. It was around two and a half, three years. Okay. Right. It wasn't so long, but, but uh, we touched on a very painful, uh, 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 you know, problem for customers. And it was aligned with the Microsoft security strategy. And this is how, you know, the dots connected and, and eventually... Right, right. <laughs> so what was that process like for you deciding to sell there, right? I mean, you mentioned that it wasn't that long of a journey. It was roughly three years. I mean, certainly you probably could have kept building at that point, but obviously Microsoft is also an incredible partner to have when growing a, a business and and an incredible just acquisition offer, I'm sure. What was running through your mind when you had to make that decision? So a, a lot of things, <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, I think that financially wise, it was a smart decision for all mm-hmm. the team, like literally all the team. And we said, we, we had a very good partner at Microsoft. Okay. And, and we took a small company with 24, 23, I think people back then, and with, I think, you know, 15 plus customers. And in two years, we had an exponential growth. Like we reached out to thousands of customers and, and the business model was totally different. And we learned, I think we learned what is an enterprise and how it works and how processes hmm. works. I, I had a, a, you know, the opportunity to meet Satya Nadella oh, cool. uh, in, in, in person as part of the acquisition. Uh, it's a different story. Let's not go <laughs> into it. But, sure, sure. But, but, but the vision of Microsoft security was such, um, such impactful on our team, you know, and, and everything just connected our vision, their vision, uh, the, 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 the autonomy that they provided us um, and the ability to, you know, to decide as a small unit what we want, which tools we want to use, which processes we, we want to implement on the team, mm. uh, decide about our own culture. Um, but after three years, it's changed. You know, this is the, 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 the limit. And after sure. three years, you, 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 you become, you know, uh, uh, yet another uh, small team in a large company. And the team started to, you know, other people want to do other things, other startups born, which is amazing from, from Erato. Um, and, and that, and that's it. And, I, but I think the journey in like the acquisition journey was amazing, um, mm. and very, very smooth. Um, Microsoft are top notch, you know, experts yeah. in, in acquisitions. 
Um, it's hard to maintain the team for a long period of time. Sure. But, but, um, but, but we, it was an amazing journey and we learned a lot. And by the way, now in Apiro, we, me and my partner, Jonathan, uh, we felt this, these challenges of building the AppSec program, securing the software supply chain inside Microsoft. And we, we mm. learned from the engineering side, okay, how hard it is and how, you know, these security gates and guardrails and processes hold us back from delivering faster and faster and faster. And then I, as a risk owner, I had to go to my boss and say, mm. why we're not delivering on time? Hey, you know, the compliance teams won't, gave us a checklist of uh, 400 uh, <laughs> things to, to fill right. out. And we, before releasing code to the cloud, we had to go through a risk assessment questionnaire. And yep. all these painful processes, um, we, we can talk about this later, but, but, but this is something that we said, this is a big thing. It, it cannot be like everyone are moving so fast to the cloud and adopting both cloud native applications and cloud native infrastructure. There is no way that security now will be a blocker to the business. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. And this is the biggest challenge that we took on ourselves as a mission, you know, to solve for the industry. Right. Yeah, and clearly what you're getting at here is kind of touching on the broader concept of DevSecOps as a whole, right? And so there's so many different tools that label themselves as DevSecOps today. I'll be curious to hear a little bit more about kind of how you fit in within that whole stack. But before we get just there, I want to I want to touch on this founding kind of origin story a little bit more, right? Because after having Arato acquired, you probably didn't have to work again, right? But something in you, again, you clearly have this knack for just finding challenges and wanting to solve them. So what was it? Did you know as soon as you sold Alrato that you were going to build another business? I mean, what did that look like? So, so eventually the answer, the simple answer is yes. I wouldn't, mm. I'm not the type of person that will work for an enterprise for 10 years. Sure. Okay. Sure. So, so, and as I said at the beginning from the age of six, I have yeah. something in me that likes to build and create, and I love people and I love technology. Um, and, and it's just connected, but, but specifically to your question at Microsoft, uh, I, I, at the first two years, I didn't think about um, anything else except, sure. you know, my my conversation with Satya, what I promised <laughs> him, I'm going to deliver and I'm going to deliver faster and faster with my amazing team back then. Hmm. Um, and and suddenly when, when I felt personally, not from a story from other people or what customers are telling me. Like firsthand, when, when I need to release something, I promise to 500 customers that I'm going to release this specific capability. And now security are holding me back. The hmm. business, the engineering side. Then I, I, I said, hey, what, what's going on here? And then I started uh, investigating a little bit more 
why this is a big challenge. Why no one solved it before Erato? Why we were the first one? And, and we, we, I, I started talking with customers, even inside Microsoft and outside Microsoft, large enterprises and small shops. And, and we identified the, the I want to say, it's, it's real cacophony, you know, in, in okay. these organizations, like the development, they don't have the same lingo as the security team, and they don't have the same lingo as the risk team. So now there is kind of a huge gap between the business, the risk, the security, and the development teams. Sure. And you need to fuse them all together and build one layer of, of same language that, that you can manage the risks early at, 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 at the pace that you are developing software. Okay. And yep. this is this is very, very complex because on one hand, you need to analyze code, but then you say, okay, you have a lot of customer, a lot of vendors out there that are analyzing code, but they are analyzing code to find vulnerabilities. Now you need to understand code and understand the context to be able to um, answers, answer these risk assessment questionnaires automatically. You need what's to, an example? What's an example of that? So, an example. Uh, yeah, I, I will give you a few examples. Um, I can give you technical ones, but also non-technical ones. Like, yeah, when you say uh, when you say you need to identify a vulnerability with context, what's like a specific example of that kind of context that you're referring to? Let me let me give you a concrete example. Let's sure. say that a static analysis tool. Um, uh, it, like legacy one detected a SQL injection. Okay. Sure. Now you have thousand alerts from the same <laughs> tool. Now yep. what you need to do, you need to take this alert. You need to match it to a code component, for example, to an API. Okay. Sure. Now the, when you scan the code and, and you identify a vulnerability, you don't understand anything about this API. You don't understand if the uh, authorization mechanism is in the API gateway or maybe in the Kubernetes cluster. You don't understand if this is an internal facing API between microservices or an internet facing API. You sure. don't understand you don't understand if this API um, exposes PII data, for example. You don't understand if this API is part of a high business impact application. So yeah. you did. You need all this context, which this is what we bring into the table, Got and it. we take all the alerts from all the other tools, and even alerts that we generate, enrich them with all this context: business context, security context, regulatory context, and all, and and the knowledge of the developers and the activity. And then we say, okay, you have thousand alerts from these tools. You need to fix only five of them. And sure. guess what? And guess what? This work, this like manual work of triaging all these alerts takes a lot of time. And now you have one AppSec engineer on 250 <laughs> developers. Yeah. Go do your work, okay? You will never <laughs> succeed. And, and another challenge is to find the root cause and find the code owner. 
Who like this? These tools point you to a, a line of code, but now you need to understand who actually developed this code, sure. who actually developed this API that is exposed to the internet via an API gateway and also exposes sensitive data. So we connect all the dots together. We ingest the data, we analyze the code to enrich more and more and more context. And then we say, okay, this is a vulnerability. It's connected to this code component. This is the developer. Open a remediation action automatically on their own development tool, in their own development tools. And you actually shorten, like make the mean time to remediate much shorter. Right. The mean time to remediate uh, it, 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 one of the most critical KPIs for CISOs and director of uh, application or cloud security in, engineers. Okay. So, so you make 10x, 20x more with the same manpower that you have um, and, and reduce the risk faster and faster. In some cases, even before it delivered to the cloud. And this is exactly what Apiro is all about. Right. Proact like we, our mission is to help security teams and developers proactively remediate the risk before delivering to the cloud. And to do that, you need context. You need to uh, find the code owners and trigger the remediation actions automatically. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a great explanation. I mean, part of what that's triggering in my head as far as a comparison is like cloud security posture management and how some of those capabilities have evolved, right? So like the earliest cloud security posture management, you might say, okay, like vulnerability in virtual machine, right? And that's a high issue. But then as these tools have evolved, they've realized that, hey, context is a very important part of saying, okay, what is the actual risk to the organization that stems from this vulnerability? And so, okay, is this virtual machine publicly exposed? Is it a part of a critical business exactly. application? And CSPM tools, I would say, in my experience, haven't even gotten to that point yet of saying like, okay, is this a business critical application? And it sounds like part of what you're doing is, again, this kind of similar process, but for AppSec and then pulling in as much contextual data as possible. So that's spot awesome. Spot on, spot on. But there is two, two sure. things that I want to say. Yeah, yeah. One, there are a lot of, as you said, a lot of DevSecOps tools out there. Yep. <laughs> most, of them, most of them are aggregating a lot of data without scanning the code. So if you, sure. if you are just aggregating data, it's garbage in, garbage out. If you scan the code and map it to a code element, you maintain an historical audit trail across every code component changes, okay? Then the magic happens because just to correlate data from static analysis tools or SCA tools or whatever and get the line of code doesn't say anything because a lot of these tools will do, I don't know if you're familiar with Git Blame, uh, but Git no, Blame, is a it's a tool in Git uh, where, where you see all the, who changes, who changed this code. But if you just put a space on the code, then we will blame <laughs> right. we will blame you, but it's not correct because you didn't develop this uh, uh, module or microservice or API. Sure. And by analyzing the code, 
we actually understand what is a microservice, what is a module, what is a backend application, what is an API, what is a dependency. And we match all these findings from different tools into the code, maintain the audit trail, and, and as I said, open a remediation action to the code owner that introduce the vulnerability to this code element. This is one thing that, that is very, very unique to Apiro because it takes a lot of time to analyze the code, okay? It talk, takes a lot and you have a lot of <laughs> languages and frameworks. But the second thing that I want to sh- sh- uh, uh, share with you, and it's exactly related to what you said about CSPMs, now customers are coming to us and saying, hey, we have thousands of alerts from these uh, uh, CSPM, we cannot yeah. connect it to the code because if I have an open source vulnerability on a container or open source vulnerability on a library that is deployed in the cloud, now we need you, Apiro, to connect the dots to the code repository, to the code owner, to, <laughs> to allow them to fix the, the vulnerabilities. So now we are connected to the CSPM tools and we help the developers fix the risks that they already deployed in the cloud. This makes sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think more and more, right, DevSecOps and cloud security are becoming more synonymous. And as these tools branch out, right, you talked about how there's so many different DevSecOps tools that are kind of enabling the connection and integration of all these different data points. And as that's become more robust, specifically within application security, it's then expanding and saying, what's the next piece of it? Well, now it's about getting to the cloud as well and where some of these workloads are being deployed. And with the rise of infrastructure as code, there's kind of less distinction between what's code that you're writing for your application versus what's code that's defining your workloads. So let's let's touch on this point. This is (laughs) an interesting one. If you, and I just wrote a a Forbes article on that, Mm. hopefully it will be uh, published in the next few days. Uh, And and I'm just, I just wrote that to look at infrastructure as code, application code, and open source code in silo tools, siloed views, it's such a big mistake because Mm. the infrastructure as code misconfiguration, you can get thousands of these. If you can connect it to the application code and say, hey, this uh, missing encryption on a storage bucket is connected to a high business impact application that exposes sensitive data and it's deployed in this Kubernetes cluster, oh, now it makes sense to prioritize my infrastructure as code uh, uh, misconfigurations based on the context from the application code. And same goes for the open source. And this is exactly what we brought into the uh, industry to analyze, uh, statically analyze the application code, infrastructure as code, binaries and dependencies in one engine, in one risk engine, and then allow you to query the graph, query the risk graph. Show me where do I have an API without input validation in a high business impact application with a storage bucket without encryption before I'm deploying to the cloud. And then I want to prioritize my work there and bring in together all the relevant owners to remediate it before we we deploy to the cloud. Right, right. 
So yeah, to your point, it's that idea again of kind of shifting left and being more preventive and proactive as opposed to detective and responsive after the fact. So, I mean, I'm sure uh, for myself, I'm clearly bought in on, on this being a problem, right? I've seen this with, with clients over the past few years, and I'm sure most of the listeners agree as well. But obviously, it's one thing to go ahead and identify a problem and start working towards a solution. It's another to actually do that successfully. But let's talk about one of the biggest milestones that Appear has had, and it's just a few years that it's existed at this point, which is you actually won the RSA Innovation Challenge Sandbox last year. We're right around the corner from RSA this year. It's a very competitive process, at least from what I hear, uh, to be selected as a finalist and then to even win as well. So, I mean, tell me, what was it like preparing for that challenge last year? What really went in behind the scenes to give yourselves the best shot at that award? Yeah, I, I think we worked so hard a few months before um, to be ready for, for that. We had a very comprehensive uh, a, a story, which is, again, connecting the dots across uh, uh, the application code, infrastructure as code, and open source code, and enrich it with the, the context, as I said a few, few minutes ago. But but we we, we literally spend days and nights <laughs> polish the message and polish the the um the presentation and i did a lot of rehearsals you know just to <laughs> to, to do the per- perfect pitch and and I, I i think eventually when you solve a real pain for large amount of customers this is the reason why we won, because our technology of analyzing, and we didn't talk about this at all, like analyzing the user stories before you started coding and raise mm. a flag for the security architect to go and talk to this guy before they start coding and run a threat model. This cool. is a big thing. And then connect the dots saying this code change is connected to this user story, to this commit, to this repository, to this pull request, to this deployment pipeline or build pipeline, and to where it's deployed in the cloud. I think this is why we won. Um, and, 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 and we did a lot of work beforehand uh, uh, to, to, to make it, you know, it, it's complex. And it's For it's, sure. it's 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 a I'm I'm just saying that, that the message is complex and we tried to oversimplify it to 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 CIOs and CISOs and sure. also to practitioners in one language and and that's it it was it was an amazing ride with an amazing team uh, I, I'm I was just a small piece of this puzzle of this success uh, um, and and that's it and and from that moment, everything changed. Like uh, one, it, oh, it's it's for the good and the bad. On one hand, okay. I think we we got like twenty five startups are saying the same message, you know, okay. after yeah. after yeah. the the RSA Innovation Sandbox, and on the other hand, we closed like. I don't want to say the exact number, but sure. a lot of Fortune uh, um, 100, and but also we opened up to small engineering shops that approached us, 
and 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 we adjusted the 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 you know our our cloud native application security platform to support small development shops like 50 100 not like like we designed the platform to support 20,000 developers okay sure. so now we can we can we can provide value to 50 uh, uh developers shop till you know 20,000, 30, 40,000 developers. Yeah. So, I mean, tell me, what does it take to actually kind of scale back a platform? Because when I think about scale, right, I think if a platform's designed for a team of 20,000, it should be able to handle a team of 50. What does it actually take to no. then make it compatible for that smaller team? No, it's it's a totally different ball game. Like uh, uh, the processes are different, the mindset are, is different. So s- some of the risks are not even relevant for small mm. teams. Uh, they they are not regulated as as a large bank, you know. Um, and and it, it's different. Like I can't list all the capabilities right. that no. we adjusted, but right now. The beauty of, of the, the Apiro solution is that you connect Apiro the, for the minimum. Okay, let's let's talk about the minimum one API to your source control manager, read-only API. And without any human intervention, between 30 minutes to an hour, Apiro builds the entire inventory of all the code throughout the history. Hmm. And then identify the top three risks for every category and help you uh, uh, build remediation actions. So you literally, you don't need anyone connect the platform after three, 30 minutes, see the value. (laughs) And now you can expand with more context. So it goes back to our conversation about all these, you know, aggregators out there they need the other tools to be successful. Sure. We don't need the other tools to show you value, okay? And it's a very important thing. Um, you, you connect Apiro, you see the value. Now you want to say, okay, Apiro identify all these APIs or all these microservices. Now I want to understand not only all the changes throughout the history, and I want to understand when it was deployed. Great, connect us to the CICD. Okay, you want to see where it's running in in your Kubernetes cluster. Great, connect us to the Kubernetes cluster. <laughs> you want to you want to match between the API in the code to the API gateway. Great, connect us to the API gateway. But to see the value, you don't need to do all that. All this you need to connect us to the source control manager via read only API. It takes literally two minutes, <laughs> and and after thread and this is what happened. Like we started, you know, closing deals. After a very short period of time, um, and and you know while dealing with all the monsters out there, the large enterprises, yeah, it takes a lot of time to 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 uh, you know penetrate these accounts, um, and it ties ties back to tied back to the, to the your question about what happened from the RSA innovation sandbox. Like it's not only that great we won out of I think. <laughs> thousand startups, you know, uh, it was an eye-opening because our domain wasn't structured and it's still not structured enough like cloud security. 
Cloud security, it's very, very structured. Sure. Uh, the complexity that you have in a cloud native application is such a big, you know, complex domain. That, and, and as you know, atta- attackers love complexity. So, <laughs> so it's, it, and, and it's, you know, and, and if the domain is not structured enough uh, and organization A will do totally different things from organization B, now with the Apero platform, you can have consistency. You can have same processes and languages between all these uh, uh, personas in the organization that eventually needs to remediate the risk. Because as you said, a different person will remediate the risk for infrastructure as code. A different person will remediate the risk for this API that is missing input validation. A different uh, persona will uh, remediate the open source vulnerability on a container. So you need to bring them all together yep. into one place um, and, and help them remediate the risk as fast as you can. And only the critical ones, because don't forget, you have <laughs> you have at least 10, 15 tools out there and you need to manage all the alerts from all these right. tools um, and tie them back to a code component and a code owner. And Right. Okay. And so it sounds like when you talk about the wake of the innovation sandbox, there were kind of two key pieces that you mentioned. One, there's a big technical change because you have to make the tool more compatible for smaller shops. You're getting just a ton of new interest. And then two, you have to spend a lot more time on account management for some of these major enterprises because you've kind of gotten their attention now. So how did this win maybe influence your priorities at an organization at a strategic level, right? So maybe in the early days kind of going into RSA, you were so focused on product, it was product, 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 and then that'll be our main sales tool. Once everyone kind of gets it, they'll get it. And then maybe post RSA, now that you have these enterprises that are coming towards you, you're saying, hey, it's no longer sustainable for me as CEO to try to manage all these different relationships. We need to whatever, multiply our account management team by 10 in the next 30 days. What did that really look like? So, so I can't I can't go into the, the the details there. That's fine. But 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 in high level, it's it's exactly what you just said. We we completely changed our our priorities. By mm. the way, we hired our CRO like literally. Um, I think two weeks after the <laughs> RSA Innovation Sandbox, we brought um, uh, uh, the VP of Business Development from GitHub to Apiro. Okay, wow. So, so, so we 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 built the, this muscle. Um, uh, we had zero, no, yeah, zero salespeople, and we built the wow. sales team. We have now around 25, 30 uh, salespeople in Apiro. Wow. Um, uh, and 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 it was an exponential growth. Everything changed from, from the, 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 you know, the winning at the RSA Innovation Sandbox. It's the product, it's the go-to-market, it's the uh, uh, building the sales and, and, and business teams. Um, and it's growing and growing and growing. And, and I, I'm saying to all the other, you know, startups out there that maybe maybe will hear us uh, um i'm saying invest a lot of resources in planning your uh, uh every word every word that you are saying and writing 
to the uh, RSA Innovation Sandbox mm. uh, Committee. Think again and again and again. Don't think that it's yet another customer, okay? It's not. Um, you have a, a, a diversity of people uh, uh, that eventually judge you, okay? And you need to understand who are they, what's their knowledge, what's their, the pains that they heard from customers that they're talking with, and then combine this together and 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 polish the message because it's worth every minute when you <laughs> win when you when you eventually win um and and I want to say you know and you didn't talk about the investor side we got so many and and, and I, I I apologize for all the VCs out there okay that I didn't answer <laughs> the emails because because it, I, I I cannot you know you need to as a CEO you need to prioritize your time and building the foundation to a faster growth okay so so it brings everyone it brings employees and investors and 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 leaders and customers across the board and and it's amazing like the impact on on apiro was was one of a kind okay yeah yeah um i mean to your point i'm sure the the investors will get over it uh after being <laughs> used to to being on the other side of that as well right with startups constantly reaching out to them and, and them having to prioritize as well um yeah. so I mean, again, it's been about a year at this point since that win. We've talked about what it's done for you in the last year and some of these changes in priorities. What do you really see as next for Apiro today? I mean, is it continuing to drive some more of these relationships with these big enterprises? Are there some sneaky new feature updates that you want to sneak preview right now? What does that look like? So, so we have a very, I, I can't share the details, but we have yeah. a, a, a few very interesting things that are coming. Um, we are going um, to fight head to head with, with big, uh, big uh, competitors out there. Okay. Sure. And, and we're working hard on, on some new surprises both on the go-to-market and the product side, okay? Um, and again, it's building the company. Uh, we, we're not uh, planning to, you know, have another quick, uh, you know, sell like we had with Erato. We want to build sure. something big. We have a unique team. I'm, I'm telling you, I've never worked with such an amazing people, such smart people in, in Apiro that are top-notch across the board. And this is a unique opportunity. This is a unique time to solve a big problem, okay? Um, it's a combination between securing the SDLC and securing the software supply chain, and it's merging, you know? And, and, and we have the right solution to merge these things together. And you don't need to buy siloed, yet another siloed tool right. to one for secrets in code, one for that, one to identify threats in the CICD. And you need one platform that will look across the board from the design phase 
to coding, to building your software, to delivering to the cloud, okay? And, and this is a unique opportunity for Apiro. And, and we just need to push hard, execute, because this is, this is where the magic happens. If you have the right team at the right time with the right problem, it's just execution. And we have amazing, amazing investors. I'm telling you, like, I'm working with Greylock and Kleiner Perkins, and it's, you know, you can't ask more than working with these top-notch VCs and and top-notch customers that are actually spending a lot of time with us to build and shape it to the right, uh, uh, um, you know, to the right way or to the right problem statement that will solve them big problems. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, I mean, you touched on timing, but I think it is worth just spending an extra second really highlighting that, right? Because you are in such an incredible intersection of, like you mentioned, the software supply chain, which has received so much attention with the rise of those different attacks like Code Cove and SolarWinds, and then DevSecOps, which has been around for many years at this point. But in terms of like the growth of startups in the space and as a priority for CISOs, it's really gained a lot more attention just in the last year or two. And you also mentioned, right, that there's all these new startups that have spun off and tried to kind of take down Apiro since winning RSA's sandbox, but that means you had a two-year head start on them. So you are very uniquely positioned to grow in an intersection that's a high priority for a lot of security buyers right now. Uh, and I, I think, again, it's interesting to kind of compare and contrast to the decisions that you made at Arato and, and hear your perspective on that now. No, it's a, again, it's so different. The market was totally different. You know, yeah. when we were at Terato, um, we had only one competitor, which is, you know, now Exabeam, a $3 billion company, which was yeah, super successful. <laughs> and, and I know, I know the co-founder and CEO, which, which is, you know, an amazing job of executing, not selling the company and building it to the long run. And this is exactly what we are planning to do now. Just, right. you know, building a a real company that provide our customers an end-to-end solution across their uh, SDLC security and securing the software supply chain end-to-end in one platform. And, and you know, it's, it's a very complex task and we have the best team ever. And, <laughs> and you know, yeah. we, and, and, set and, for you know, success. And, and 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 the competition is 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 amazing and great people out there and great startups and you know let's see what happens. Yeah. All right. Ceremonial last question for you here. Are you looking for investment or hiring? And I think I can probably answer this one, but I'll let you uh, I'll let you take <laughs> it. I mean, it sounds like you have VCs lined up at your door waiting for you to, to give them a wave. And then on the hiring front, I know you mentioned before we started recording that you've hired 70 people in the last seven or so months. Uh, so it sounds like yeah. that's going to be a, a no-brainer as well. Absolutely. We, we have right now around... Uh, I think 60 open positions, wow. even more. 
Uh, we are hiring and we're growing. Um, we're not looking for you know an investment right now. Yeah. Um, it, it will come, but but uh, you know when it will come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much for the time, Idan. Thank you. Uh, again, thank you. Congratulations. I, I really awesome. Well, again, looking forward to to seeing how you continue here and and following along as uh, Apiro continues down this journey. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can write to me at kyle at secureventures.io. I'm Kyle McNulty and you've been listening to Secure Ventures.